Good morning. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. The reading this morning is from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. If you are using the Black Bibles found in the pews, it is on page 1663. On page 1663, you will find Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Luke 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God. So church, this morning we have a great opportunity to invite one of our elders, one of our lay elders, Jonathan Wong, to preach God's word to us this morning. As many of you know, Jonathan is a practicing physician, but for the past few years, he's been sensing a call from God into full-time vocational ministry and he has begun his seminary training. Uh, He's at a stage in the process where he is now discerning whether God has called him to preach in particular. And so we want to give him an opportunity to exercise gifts that we uh, recognize in him. And just as as a physician, he went through many years of of training in hospitals that, that, that sought to train their own uh, in the same way we, we, we seek as a church to train our own as well. And so this is an opportunity for us as a church to be able to encourage Jonathan and to be able to um, help him along as he's discerning God's will for his life and for his family. And so this morning, will you please open up your ears, open up your hearts, open up your Bibles, and let's welcome Jonathan to preach to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word this morning, would you by your grace grant to us a sense of your presence? Make us more and more conform to your commandments and especially your command to be thankful in all circumstances. May your spirit open our eyes to the things you want us to see from your word and in doing so, make us the men and women that you want us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, today marks the three-month anniversary of one of the worst hurricanes in recent memory to hit the state of Texas and the city of Houston, causing more than 30,000 people to be displaced, 
185,000 homes to be damaged, and at least 91 deaths, mostly due to drowning. Hurricane Harvey, known to be the costliest natural disaster ever in the United States, has no doubt left an indelible mark on the hearts and lives of our people. And many of you know that our home was one of those damaged by the flood. And after packing up all our stuff, throwing away flood damaged items, having the sheetrock cut, the wood floors removed, I still remember the day when I, I spotted some mold in the house that we were trying to repair, and, and, and I fell into this kind of despair. You see, even, after you, even if you clean up a, a flooded home really, really well, if you don't spend the extra time drying up the house, you're going to risk the spread of mold. And so I remember being all alone in the car that day, asking myself the question we're, we're taught not to ask. God, why is this happening to me? I was trying to get over that bad question and start asking the right question, which is, God, what, what could you possibly be trying to teach me through this? And I remember wondering this out loud to a trusted friend later on who, who insightfully uh, gave a reply. Well, maybe God's trying to teach you something. Maybe God's trying to test you here. And maybe God was testing me. I mean, that, that fit well with what we read in Scripture about trials and hardships, like it says in James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I'll be honest. It's hard, it's hard to be, to rejoice and to be grateful when you've just lost most of your furniture to the floods and you have to move out of your beloved home. It's hard to be grateful when you come across old photos of your kids' birthday parties and the family times in the living room after dinner. And, it's, and you see the pictures of your, your kids playing with these toys that, that they no longer own. It's hard to be grateful when you wonder why things just have to be the way they are. Well, having to work on a sermon about gratitude on Thanksgiving Sunday, it's, it's been hard to see exactly how and where Thanksgiving actually fits into a story like mine. And whether your house was flooded like mine, or you've gone through the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job this past year, you'll know that gratitude doesn't come naturally to the human heart. It's not the first instinct that comes when we go through difficult times. And when you think about moments in life when things are going well, on the other hand, maybe God's answered a long-time prayer of yours, or you've started, you just started dating the guy or gal of your dreams, or your retirement account's growing because the stock market's rising. Still, even in those situations, gratitude doesn't come easy. More often than not, we're fixated on the things in life that we still don't have or God still hasn't answered. Have you ever stopped to wonder, why is that? What's driving our ingratitude when the Bible so clearly teaches that we should give thanks in all circumstances? Why is it so easy to forget? To forget God during good or bad times in life? 
And what will it take to regularly turn our hearts back to him with thanks? Well, I have three lessons that I want to draw out from our our text this morning as we wrestle through some of these questions. If you want to follow along, you can find them printed in the outline in your bulletins. And what I want to first do is to tackle this question. Why is gratitude such a forgettable and overlooked attitude in our day-to-day lives? It's, it's one thing to be thankful when you're going around sharing at the table for Thanksgiving with your family members. It's one thing to, to be thankful in that situation. But it's a completely different situation uh, and a completely different thing to be characterized by a heart of gratitude. And so the first thing that we can learn from our text is this. You've got to first examine your hearts for the roots of ingratitude. Just to provide some context for you guys, we're in a section of the book of Luke where Jesus is in the middle of his final journey towards Jerusalem. That's where he's going to be facing his ultimate death on the cross and accomplishing the mission God sent him for. And he takes a route through this region between Samaria and Galilee uh, that was usually avoided by Um, devout Jews because of centuries-long prejudice and racial tensions between a group of people called the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans, you see, were seen as a sort of half-breeds, social, cultural rejects because they descended from Jews long ago and had intermarried with foreigners. They weren't real Jews by any standards um, as far as a devout Jew was concerned. But that doesn't stop Jesus from moving along through this territory. Let's read together, starting in verse 11. Look down there with me. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Just to clarify a few things about, a couple things about lepers. When you see the word leper or leprosy in the Bible, it doesn't actually uh, refer, it doesn't necessarily refer to the modern leprosy that we, we know it today. A better term to use, according to scholars, is actually um, a chronic skin condition considered to be defiling. And so lepers in biblical times were treated as complete outcasts in society. Listen to the Old Testament law concerning lepers from Leviticus chapter 13, verse 46. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean, he shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so it makes sense that we find these ten lepers kind of standing at a distance when Jesus and his disciples walk through into the village. They call out saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Let's read on in verse 14. When he saw them, He said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And they they went, and as they went, they were cleansed. Why does Jesus tell these ten lepers to go and see the priests? Well, according to Old Testament law, priests were the only ones who had the authority in Jewish society to judge whether a leper was cleansed or not. So Jesus was just following the, the standard rules of his day, Once a priest declared a leper clean, he could actually return back into society. But notice with me that Jesus hasn't actually healed them yet. The lepers actually had to take Jesus at his word and head out to see the priest before seeing any actual change on their skin. And as they did so, 
we see in verse 17 that they were healed and they were cleansed miraculously. But the story isn't over yet. Look down at verse 15 with me. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. You see, there's only one out of ten of those lepers who turned back to Jesus and said, thank you. The rest, well, they go their merry way. They were ungrateful. And why is that? Why were they so ungrateful? And this is where I think we can learn something from the nine lepers. You might have never considered this, but ingratitude, from a scriptural point of view, is actually considered a serious sin. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 2 tells us that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will, among other things, be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, and listen to this, ungrateful. But in some sense, I think that even ungratefulness or ingratitude is really only a surface sin. Underneath our hearts may actually be driven towards ingratitude by a number of things without even realizing it. And so we've got to take some time, slow down, and look into our own hearts to diagnose some of the things that are underlying and at the root of our ingratitude. Let me give you just three possible motives at the heart and at the root of ingratitude. The first is this, idolatry. Idolatry as the root, as a root of ingratitude. Most of us know what it's like to to ask God for help in one way or another, receive that help from him, only to later forget that he the fact that he helped us or blessed us in the first place. Perhaps the reason why we choose to walk away after receiving what we want from God and not turning back to him like that last leper in worship is because God wasn't who we wanted all along. Those blessings were. Our hearts, as John Calvin so famously puts it, are idol factories. And and one of the ways that heart idols show up in our hearts is that... um, when we finally receive something we've been, we've been waiting for and praying for, we're, we're just so satisfied with simply getting what we've always wanted from God. But in doing so, we betray the fact that his gifts were really what we wanted all along, not the giver. I mean, think about it. What would make the nine other lepers so content as to forget to turn back and thank Jesus who, brought, who just brought the healing that they had been waiting for their entire lives? Why, why wouldn't they turn back in gratitude like the 10th leper? Well, maybe these lepers had a deeper heart idol. Maybe, maybe heart idols like an image idolatry because they've, been just, they've had a marred appearance on their skin for so long or an approval idolatry based on a desire to be accepted because they've been socially isolated for so long. And once they saw that they were healed, they simply went their merry way because they got what they ultimately wanted. They could now regain their standing in society or feel better about themselves when they look in the mirror, if they had mirrors back then, but look in the mirror and and not see leprous disease on their skin. And in the same way, perhaps our tendency to forget the giver when we receive his gifts is due to an underlying heart idolatry that points to the fact that we've been counting someone or something as more precious or valuable than God himself. We end up using God to get to our high idols. 
The second possible root of ingratitude is this, entitlement. In the passage right before the one we're studying today, Jesus actually points out um, the error of servants who take their masters for granted and demand to be treated in a certain way as a reward for their service. Instead, Jesus says that the proper attitude of servants to their masters is summed up in the following statement. Luke 17, verse 10. We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. You see, all ten lepers were healed, but only one turned back to give thanks. The other nine took Jesus for granted and, and treated him in the words of one commentator like a cosmic butler instead of a suffering servant. Now, they didn't, they didn't think they owed Jesus anything, not even a word of thanksgiving. When entitlement creeps into our hearts, gratitude is one of the first things that goes. We might pray and pray and pray, but when we finally receive the answer to the prayer that we've been longing for all this time, sometimes, in that very same moment, for some reason, we assume that we got what we have always deserved. Now, the third possible root of ingratitude is this, self-reliance, self-reliance. Jesus tells a parable in, the, uh, in Luke chapter 18 about a Pharisee and a tax collector who go up to a temple and pray. The Pharisee, in his prayer, actually gives thanks to God. But listen to what he thanks God for. Luke chapter 18, verse 11. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This man boasted in what he could bring to the table. He was self-reliant. And when he looked at himself, all he could see was a sense of his own self-righteousness. The tax collector, on the other hand, standing from a distance, he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus concludes this parable by saying that it was the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, self-reliant people are the last people who feel a genuine need for God. But desperate, needy people are the ones who, like the Samaritan leper, understand just how unclean and helpless they really are. And when God shows mercy to them, they can do nothing but humbly fall down at the feet of Jesus and worship him with a thankful heart. Which leads to our second lesson that we can learn from the passage. After examining your hearts for any roots of ingratitude, you've got to start pointing your heart to the true source of gratitude. I couldn't help but notice on a quick Google search of, of the terms gratitude or the practice of gratitude, most of the top sites that came up were actually secular or Buddhist or positive psychology web pages. There's actually this thing called gratitude research, and it has nothing to do with Christianity per se. And what this tells me is that gratitude is seen as a positive thing across the board. Christians and non-Christians will both agree that it's generally better to be grateful more than ungrateful, which makes sense, right? I mean, I don't think you'll ever come across an article on the internet with the title, The Blessings of Ingratitude, or 10 Steps to Becoming a More Ungrateful You in 2018. I don't think you'll find those. 
So is there a difference? Is there really a difference in Christian gratitude? Or is the source of gratitude, whether you're a Christian or not, simply found in learning to see the positive things in life, keeping a gratitude journal, telling yourself three things you're thankful for every day? Not that any of these things are bad in and of themselves, but if Christians find the source of their gratitude in the very same things and only the same things as non-Christians, well, what is there to be really thankful for as a Christian versus a non-Christian. The story of these ten lepers, and, and especially the Samaritan leper, points us to a deeper truth. It points us to, and it reminds us of the gospel, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for sinners like us, is really the only true source of Christian gratitude that can sustain us in all and every circumstance. Look down at uh, verse 15 with me again. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, we're, we're, not, ten leper, uh, we're not ten cleansed? Where, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Commentators point out that the term that Jesus uses here for wellness and well is actually a form of the New Testament word for salvation. In other words, this story is not just about a man being thankful for being physically healed. No, it's about a man who's received spiritual healing and he's thankful for being restored back to God. You see, Jesus was not out to just heal these ten lepers physically. Jesus healed these ten lepers so that they would ultimately repent and turn from their sins and, and, and fall at the feet of Jesus in worship. But many times, like the nine lepers who walked away, our heart idols, they keep us from turning back to Jesus in faith because, because we got what we really wanted from him. God blesses us. He answers our prayers. And then we run, we run away content, like a little kid in the candy store who, get, who just got what he wanted and forgets to turn back to mom and say thank you. Physical healing or a new job, or a good grade on a test are, are never the ultimate reasons why God answers prayers. The Samaritan leper who, who placed his faith in Jesus and was saved reminds us that our hearts were meant to find ultimate satisfaction not in the gifts, but in the giver himself. The Samaritan also felt no sense of entitlement. He knew he was doubly unclean, being a half-breed, ethnically isolated Samaritan, as well as a disease-laden, socially isolated leper. But his recognition that he was a spiritual outsider, completely unworthy of God's grace, was also the reason why he so readily turned back to Jesus in faith and in worship. And we too are spiritual outsiders apart from Christ. The Bible tells us that in and of ourselves we are strangers to the covenants of providence, having no hope and without God in this world. Ephesians 2, verse 12. The Samaritan leper reminds us that God owes us nothing, and we deserve nothing but eternal hell, eternal separation from him because our heart idols and because of our sins and because of our open rebellion against him. And unlike the other nine, the Samaritan leper shows us what it means to be completely dependent on God's grace to cleanse us from the inside out. He was anything but self-reliant. 
You see, the gospel tells us that we as wretched sinners have no way of fixing the broken relationship that all of us have with God. God himself had to make a way for us to get back into a relationship with him. And he did this by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we were expected to live and to die the kind of death that we should have died because of our sins. And Jesus was raised back to life in three days so that those who now place their faith in this living Savior, that those who now place their faith in this living Savior and make him the Lord of their lives would be reconciled and made right with God again. And when a person becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in our hearts so that things like joy and thankfulness begin to supernaturally take root in our hearts, no matter what our circumstances might be. Friends, one of the main reasons that God answers our prayers and heals our sicknesses and blesses us with good things is so that we would turn back to him just like that Samaritan leper and worship him for the God that he is. It's, not, it's true, it's true that not everyone does this. Even though God gives good things to both Christians and non-Christians alike through his common grace, not everyone falls at the feet of Jesus and worships him in return much less turn back to him in faith. The nine lepers who, who walked away represent people who've been blessed by God, but never turned back to him to worship him and to put their trust in him. The Samaritan leper re- represents the kind of person, in, on the other hand, who recognizes his or her uncleanliness before a holy God and responds to his grace by putting his or her trust in him. So which one are you? If you're here in this room today and have yet to place your faith in Christ, ask yourself, has the Lord done great things for you? Have there been answers to prayers on your behalf where nothing else could explain it except by the grace and work of God in your life? Listen to this quote by a well-known preacher. It is not enough for us to do what God says as the other nine lepers did. It is not even enough for us to be grateful when God restores our health or grants us some other blessing. We will be saved forever only if we come to Jesus in faith, trusting him the way the tenth leper did, and then worshiping at his feet. You see, like the Samaritan leper, the most important way that you or I could show gratitude towards God is to fall at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him and committing yourself to him as the Lord and master of your life. And so I want to challenge you to do that today. And if you're in this room and you do have a relationship with Christ already, make sure that the way you practice gratitude is is not just like everyone else around you. Make sure that you practice a, a Christian gratitude rooted in the true source, which is the gospel itself. Preach the gospel regularly to yourself. Be reminded of God's mercy on your life. Share your testimony regularly with someone or others in your small group or people at work to refresh your memory about the ways that God has worked in your life and changed your life to be more like Christ. And if all else fails, spend some time thinking about what your life would be like right now, right now, if not by the grace of God, that you are a Christian. Let that be something to thank God for every day. For God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
Now that we've examined some of the roots of ingratitude, we've explored the source of true Christian gratitude, how are we to take seriously the Bible's commands to give thanks in all circumstances on a daily basis? This leads us to a third and final lesson. You have to start training your heart in the practice of gratitude. I think you would all agree with me now that that gratitude doesn't come naturally to our, our human hearts. No, left to ourselves, we'd all continue to fixate on the things in life that we still don't have or God still hasn't answered rather than what he's already done or given to us. Christians and non-Christians alike want to be more grateful, but more often than not, ingratitude in the form of complaining or criticism takes over our thoughts and our feelings towards God. So what can we do to cultivate a more grateful heart? The Samaritan leper gives us a helpful example. Look down at verse 15 with me again. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Notice that like the other nine lepers, healing comes on the way to seeing the priests. But unlike others, this Samaritan leper doesn't wait very long before he turns back and thanks God for what he's done. This might seem simple enough, but... One way to keep ourselves from being ungrateful is to turn back to God and give him thanks right away, right away each time he answers our prayers. This guards against what we're all naturally tempted to do and forget what just happened. Our hearts so full of idolatry are prone to forget the giver once the gifts start coming our way. And even if idolatry isn't one of the roots or at the root of your ingratitude, the simple passing of time is usually all it takes for us to forget what God's done in our lives. One thing I, I try to do for myself and my own devotions is to write down specific prayer requests I have each month. There's special prayer requests that I, I want to keep in mind and pray. I put them down on a flashcard and I leave it in my Bible as a bookmark. Well, I got out of the habit of doing this earlier this spring, and, and so when I look back at one of my flashcards that I wrote back in March, there's actually a specific prayer request that I had written down that I'd totally forgotten that I was praying for back then, and actually God had already answered long ago. I forgot to thank God for answering that prayer request, even though it was so easy. It was as easy as looking back at my prayer list and, and reminding myself that he did answer. And yes, something like this is a small thing, but added up, they make a huge difference in the way we experience God and are inclined to trust him to do more in our lives. So what are ways that you can be training your heart to more regularly practice gratitude? What are ways to help fight against this tendency to forget? You could write down important prayer requests in a journal or in a flashcard like myself to keep track of times when God actually does answer prayer. And another way I found helpful in cultivating a heart of gratitude is to structure your prayers in a way that actually fits in thanksgiving into your prayer life every day. The, one, the prayer model that I've been using is, is one called ACTS. Many of you might have heard of it, A-C-T-S. I first start off with A, adoration. I spend time adoring God for who he is and what he's like. That includes things like the fact that he's sovereign over all things, in control over all things, for his great love and mercy and wisdom and grace to us. You get the point. 
Then I go into a time of confession, C, where I think about the past day or the past week, and I confess any known sins that I've committed against God, and I ask for his forgiveness. Then T, this is where I spend some time thanking God, usually first for his forgiveness in light of my sins that I just confessed. I remind myself of verses like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I also spend some time reminding myself of the gospel. It helps me. And I thank God for what he's done to reconcile me to himself through Jesus. And then I spend some, just another few moments, thanking God for anything else that comes to mind. Then S, A-C-T-S, I spend some, the rest of my time of prayer in supplication, which is just a fancy word for asking God for help or asking God for help on behalf of others. You see, using a prayer model like ACTS, A-C-T-S, helps to balance out our prayer life so that we're not spending all our time just asking and asking and asking for things. But no, we're, we're doing God, we're confessing our sins to God, we're thanking him, right, every day for something, especially the gospel, the true source of our gratitude. And then we get to the point of asking him and supplicating. So if you're needing a fresh start to your prayer life or looking for a way to build gratitude into your life on a daily basis, I want to encourage you to start using the ACTS model, the A-C-T-S, as you pray. You see, gratitude doesn't come naturally. And Christian gratitude, doubly so. A true heart of gratitude can only come from a supernatural event with the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts to transform us to be grateful and thankful in every circumstance. So whatever, whatever cause might be at the root of your particular form of ingratitude and your tendency towards ingratitude, keep pointing your heart to the true source of Christian gratitude, to the gospel. Keep pointing your heart to the gospel. Then, and only then, will you find your heart truly satisfied because remember, satisfaction doesn't come from just getting the gifts. It ultimately and only comes from the giver himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the giver of all good gifts. You know what we need even before we ask. We confess our hearts are, are so ever prone to receive your gifts and simply forget the giver. Like the lepers in today's passage, we cry out to you, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, even as you transform us by your Spirit into men and women who are deeply grateful for the gospel. We pray all this with thankful hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen.